well, if we just did away with parties, then boom, there goes there goes the judgment, right? No. <laughs> Welcome back to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm Thomas here with Daniel for another episode. And How are glad you, Daniel? That you're here. I'm doing well. Uh, doing well. Looking forward. We got. Yeah. We, I think we have more questions than we can cover today, but uh, we're going to have a good really? time anyway. And right. I'm glad that our listeners have joined us once again. And if you're new, this is a podcast of two good friends just reasoning together. Uh, we can't promise to give you all the answers, but we can hopefully display what it means to have uh, a friend that you can actually be pretty transparent and honest and frank with uh, as you're just trying to figure out stuff in life uh, and connect yeah. it to the uh, to the scriptures. Yeah, and we fully recognize that maybe you're in a situation where you don't have folks you can talk to in the way that you perhaps hear us talk to each other uh, on this podcast. So we invite you to join the conversation. You can send us your questions, comments, suggestions, and whatever else, um, to reason together podcast at gmail.com. But even further, if you would like to join a community of Christians reasoning together uh, about biblical things and how they apply to life, you are welcome to do that at patreon.com slash reason together. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash reason together. And you can join up as a supporter of the podcast. It doesn't cost a lot of money. Uh, it really doesn't. You can pledge a dollar, I believe, is the, the lowest you can pledge uh, per episode. And uh, and if you do that, you can join the patron club over there and you can have conversations with us and with our <clears throat> our supporters uh, in the forum there. Uh, it's a great thing. That's patreon.com slash reason together. All right. Well, we were just talking before the uh, episode uh, about your ham radio experience. You've recently gotten yeah. into this. Um, now, maybe give me a, just like a really quick synopsis of what ham radio is. I mean, I, I, I kind of have a general vague idea, but for our listeners who are okay. like, what? <laughs> maybe yeah. you could enlighten us. Well, I know we have at least one listener who knows about it, who's also a, an amateur radio operator. Um and uh, he actually sent us a question recently, too. We'll have to look at that. But um, uh, anyway, the, the basic gist of it is it's it's basically access to a range of frequencies that the general public is typically not allowed to be on. Mm -hmm. And in order to access these frequencies, you do need certain equipment to do that. Um, you have to take a test uh, to get your license. There are various licenses available. You, you have to start at the bottom and get, there's three available. Um, there's technician, there's general, and then there's amateur extra operator. <clears throat> um, hmm. I am a general right now. That's my license. Mm -hmm. So I have access to what are called uh, HF or high frequency bands. Um, technician is, is allowed on like VHF, UHF, which is a little, it's, it's still good. It's great, but it's mm -hmm. not quite as far reaching as HF would be in most situations, but we're able to talk all over the world uh, yeah. with the equipment that we have. Yeah. And you were just talking about, uh, you, you were starting to list off countries uh, in, in which you had actually made contacts with people over the radio. Can you list those off? Yeah. Yeah. We've made contacts in uh, Brazil and Spain and Wales and Germany and the Canary Islands and Canada and so all over I, the U.S. So my question is, when you make contact with someone, say, and I, and 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 Wales, like I don't I don't know about Wales. I think you said Germany. Are yeah. 
are they speaking in a different language or um, like, like, can you much communicate with them or how does uh, they, they sometimes are speaking in a different language and they're making contacts in their country, but because sure. they're also trying to reach further than that as well, you do, you do hear other people chiming in and giving their, their identifiers, their, their call signs. Mm-hmm. And then you can hear the guy switch from German or whatever it is to to English to talk to that guy. And then they're like, oh, okay, wow. so this guy can speak two languages. So then you get basically you wait for uh, there's there's certain there's certain code speak, there's certain things that you're supposed to say and, and procedures you're supposed to follow yeah. and such. And when you hear him say certain things, you jump in with your call sign. And if if you've got enough signal strength and and he hears your call sign well enough. He'll reply with it back to you, and then you can have a short conversation, or you can just make a quick contact and and be on your way, and so on. Depends on your goals with it. But yeah, wow. some people use it as a hobby, and and we kind of got into it for the purposes of like uh, emergency communication mm-hmm. um, with uh, like local first not first responders, but like local Red Cross and other emergency organizations nearby. You know, if if your cell phone's ever stopped working or there's like mm-hmm. a hurricane or natural disaster or whatever, and power goes down, you can still hear. You you can power your own equipment if you have an independent power source. And you can hear what's going on locally uh, in mm-hmm. emergency settings. Mm-hmm. So but now that we've gotten into it for that, we realize, well, there's a whole hobby side of this as well. So now we've kind of started doing that too yeah yeah well that's 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 fascinating yeah it's a lot of fun all right um you might have a specific direction you're wanting to go here uh today for sort of a thanksgiving episode um any question you want to hit first well it kind of started with a video that came across my radar here okay um and if you're listening to this it's probably closer to the Thanksgiving holiday here in the U.S. Um, I'm not sure what day this is releasing, but it should be very close to Thanksgiving when this comes out. We're recording this on a Thursday, the week before Thanksgiving. Um, So this video might have made its circulation by the time you're hearing this. Mm -hmm. Um, But I want you to listen to this video. I'll play it for you. And... uh, let me know. I want to hear your reaction. I want to hear a visceral gut reaction response from Daniel Fox. That's what I'm looking for. Um, <laughs> all right. So if you've got that pulled up, go ahead and uh, go ahead and play that video. Okay. I'm trying to get it big here. Get my. But Dad, please know that while I'm grateful, highly aware of all that you've given this family, I still don't miss you. When you died, I felt like there was a hole. I missed something, but it wasn't you. It was the idea of what you could become. I missed being able to hope and wish that one day you turn a corner and see the world from my perspective. I missed the idea that one day you might help me fight for the things that matter. I missed my fantasy. Because when you died, it solidified the fact that you'll never be what you could have been, but only what you are. And what you are is a racist, misogynistic, xenophobic, Trump-loving, cis-straight white man. That is all you will ever be to me. And Dad, before you tell me to respect the dead, please remember that you disrespected and disregarded the lives and deaths of entire communities of people with your ideology. You told me to never back down, so I won't. You know for a fact that even against you, I'm not afraid to share my peace. You are everything I aspire not to be, and I refuse to stand up here and sing the praises of a man who is the paradigm of white supremacy. So I'll take your racist mindset, I'll take your money, and I'll take your advice, and I swear to God I will make this world a better place, not at all because of you, but in exact opposition to you. 
clap, 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 clap. <clears throat> so, and break. yeah, there's actually applause at the end. Just yeah. now before, you, before you respond, I want to give okay. the listeners the context here of what you just heard is a young woman giving a eulogy at the funeral of her father who has died of liver cancer. Okay. And you've heard her say, essentially, she she just trashes him, just utterly yeah, trashes him. Um, your response? Oh boy! Um, like like, what are you feeling? What emotion does that bring up in you? Yeah, there there is an anger. There is somewhat of an anger there. Um, <laughs> it's just such a uh, it's such a selfish. Um, it's such a selfish approach to it. Um, and of course it lacks, it lacks any Christian forgiveness. Um, mm -hmm. you know, what's, what's the point? Um, you know, like what, 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 what does anybody gain from her saying that except that, Ooh, I look powerful now and it's more of a spotlight on her. And, and mm -hmm. what's the point of, tearing to shreds your 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 father's name i mean well i guess it, what it goes to is it really goes to show you their mindset that mm -hmm. truly it, it would it would be equivalent to a man being like a, a mass murderer and a rapist saying this man was evil and debauched and nobody can deny it and uh you know i really won't miss him because he was such a blight on society except that he just had political persuasions other than hers, which is yeah. phenomenal. Well, that, not only political, he, he was straight white male who voted for Trump. <laughs> right. um, so she's not just trashing him for his politics. She's a tra she's trashing him for his skin color, his, you know, quote unquote, sexual orientation and so on. Just utterly shredding the guy. Because I guess at this point she gets the last word because uh, she's eulogizing right. him. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's, did, did you have more you were going to say? And weak. It's, well, and, and it, what, as you said that, it, you know, it strikes me that she's very racist, um, mm -hmm. in, in what she's saying that, that she's like, you're saying she's going to call him out and eviscerate his name based on his, his color, his skin color and his yeah. sexual orientation, um, and the way he voted in politics. But in, yeah. to, in her mind, that is, he did harm to communities. By voting for somebody, he did harm to communities. It's just, uh, it's just kind of. Yeah, this yeah. is yet another one of those examples where people with those views spout off their anger at the other side of the aisle for the hate that they think that other side has. <laughs> and they don't even realize they're yeah. demonstrating the hate that they have in reality. Yes. Yeah. Good thought. <laughs> it's right, it's right. utter hypocrisy and it's narcissistic. I mean, the, the, the woman is utterly self-centered mm -hmm. that she gets up and takes this opportunity at a funeral right. to sit it, on the such, man's grave. It's embarrassing. I mean, it's one thing to think that you have this mic drop moment, you know, when you stood against power, but you're at a, you're at a man's funeral. Um, yeah. and, and it's just, you you know, you kind of, in some ways, I don't know if be clown is quite, quite the right word, but, um, it, it's know. one of the words that would fit. Um, <laughs> Goodness, I'm sure yeah. there are others. Yeah. I don't know quite how to describe what I'm feeling. It's not an absolute rage, but if it's kind of like a irritation, disgust, uh, yeah. you know, just maybe disgust comes close. So if you could pin 
like like I know you could probably say, well, she's narcissistic. That's clearly true. Um, she's selfish, which is it goes hand in hand with narcissism. Um, she's she's rude. She's crass. But is there a particular flaw in her character that produces this this level, this sort of behavior? And and I'll give you a hint. It has something to do with the holiday that we'll be celebrating this week. Mm, let's say um, unthankful. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, to me, it reeked of that. Yeah. Yeah. The word comes to mind, fool. I mean, because she's obviously ah, sub- yeah. submitted herself to uh, corrupting influences of thought, which have totally uh, distorted her perspective of reality so that she lives in, you know, what I imagine, uh, is kind of the American way, right? I mean, she has, she has what she needs and she has many things that she wants. And yet she has to take the man that provided the better part of it for her, you know, that Mm -hmm. made a lot of it possible and just, you know, grind him into dust because, uh, he didn't, uh, he didn't, agree with her politically it's just amazing. right right utterly it, unthankful it, is it, what it, i thought of that's interesting because it does bring uh to mind that scripture doesn't it um is it in, you romans? in romans one i guess so yeah um let's see um, it, it says they they became unthankful and their foolish hearts were darkened something like that yeah and you, and you um, kind of feel like you read a list like that and you say well i could see where lasciviousness and murder and things, those are bad, but then it, it, it lumps in there unthankful. Second um, Timothy 3, 2 talks about men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, you know, and on it goes. Wow. And as I studied- I think you hit, I think she hit every single one of those. As I studied that passage recently, it you really get the picture of a man who is all in it for himself. Uh, when it goes to the uh, when it goes to the next verse, and it talks about without natural affection, mm. truce breakers they don't they're not they're not in it to help anybody else. They're gonna they're not going to make an agreement or a truce with anybody that doesn't help them for longer than it helps them. They're all about themselves and um, yeah. And, and part of that is what you hit on, unthankful. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I couldn't help but think of that, especially with the Thanksgiving holiday sort of being yeah. on my mind. And then I see this pathetic whiner just sitting there, standing there doing this. Um, I couldn't help but think, how what an ingrate. What an absolute ingrate. Um, which kind of brings me to the question that I was going to ask about Thanksgiving generally, the holiday mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is. And, and the way I worded the question in our list is, uh, <clears throat> I think it's, is Thanksgiving a religious holiday? Well, yeah, the way it's the way it's worded, I guess I would say, what do you mean by that? Because, um, because it was instituted as an American holiday. And America, of course, has religious underpinnings. Um, because in the whole concept of morality and structure and the decency that mm-hmm. we expect as American citizens is built on a biblical mindset. <laughs> so you can't yeah. divorce Thanksgiving from a Christian mindset, um, you know, right. in its foundations, but it wasn't an init- instituted or initiated by a church per se. It was implemented by the United States government. 
Good. You nailed it. That's, that's exactly what I was hoping you would say. Um, because uh, what the way I see it is, even if Thanksgiving was not stated as a religious holiday, by nature of what Thanksgiving is, yes. it has to be a religious holiday. Yeah. Because one of the weirdest things you'll ever see is someone who is an atheist or an agnostic or, or someone who's basically a practical atheist. They might claim some sort of religious background, but they don't, they don't practice anything. They don't know the Lord. They just kind of float through life. And, and they'll say, I'm thankful for X. You know, they'll go to Thanksgiving dinner with their family and they'll say, they'll maybe go around the table and they'll say, I'm thankful for X. And, and every, every time I hear someone who is, you know, to some degree or another godless saying, I'm thankful, part of me wants to stand up and say, thankful to whom? Right, right. <laughs> because you can't just be thankful without there being a direction for your thankfulness, for your gratitude to be pointed. Right. Thankfulness yeah. is not just a happy feeling about something. And I think that's what people think. Oh, I'm thankful for this. And what they mean by that is I'm happy I have that. But thankfulness is actually yes. directed toward the giver. It's directed towards who provided something. And yes. since God provides everything, right? He sends the rain upon the just and the unjust alike. Mm -hmm. By virtue of saying I'm thankful, you're forced to say I'm thankful to somebody. Right. You're expressing <laughs> right. appreciation to someone who's bestowed something upon you. Right. And that's why right. I get frustrated with, you know, okay, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving. I enjoy that. I'm, I'm thankful for that. Right. Not to, you know, be too punny with it. Um, but at the same time, it frustrates me that there's so many people that will be celebrating this thinking I'm thankful, but just by, by that, they mean, I'm just happy. They're not directing that gratitude toward the person who actually gave them life and gave them everything they have. Um, so it, I, to me, it is a religious holiday by virtue of what Thanksgiving is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that shows the disconnect um, uh, that really, uh, by and large, most naturalists, evolutionists have not drawn, uh, drawn adequate or accurate conclusions from their belief system. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and that's just one of them that I can be thankful, uh, without directing it to anybody, you know, or yeah. I, you know, I can adhere to universal laws of logic without really explaining how they exist or, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, now, now just to kind of, because I would like some clarity on that because I've kind of tried to make that argument before and then I've sort of fizzled out thinking, okay, I, I wasn't able to word it quite like I wanted to. But also realizing that when they say I'm thankful, okay, yes, they're saying I'm happy, but they might also be expressing a gratitude and appreciation uh, for the things that they have. And, um, and so they're going to see humanity as in some way the bestower of that, right? I'm thankful for my parents and their love. I'm thankful for my family and their acceptance of me. I'm thankful for my country and the freedoms that it offers. You know what I'm saying? So they're, they're directing their thankfulness somewhere, but never far enough. Mm -hmm. um, right. So what, how would you answer that? What, what exactly is the question? I mean, I mean as far as, so they're thank, they, they are directing their thanks, but just not far enough. Um, how would you, what, you know, how would you, 
impugn that kind of like say, well, your thanks, what you can't thank your parents for everything, your government for everything. So who do you thank for peace and for life itself and for strength Uh, to which they would say, well, I just thank myself. I mean, I guess. uh, (laughs) Well, I mean, I I think, I think, you know, thanking themselves for everything would die the death of a thousand cuts if you were to try to reason with them about why that's not possible. (laughs) Um, But it's it's an argument of first causes here. You know, if they're thankful to their parents, well, well, how did their parents get what they have? Uh, you know, well, their grandparents, well, how did they get what they have? And so on. And, mm-hmm. and the same thing with governments. And as long as you keep asking the question why, heading in reverse, you're eventually going to get to the first cause of everything, which is God. Um, okay. So, so yeah, I, is that what you're looking for? That helps. That does help, uh, yeah, to say that their their thankfulness maybe is in a proper direction at times, but again, it just doesn't go far enough to acknowledge right. the ultimate giver of all that is good. Yeah, yeah, and 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 of course, you know, we would say not just historically he's the giver of all; he is actively engaged and participating, and and not only transcendent but imminent in creation, and he he's actively involved in mm-hmm. in all that we have right now. He's the sustainer. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, what's that? Colossians one, is it that that he's the sustainer of all things? Like by him all things right? consist. Yeah, the idea that he's holding or sustaining everything together. Um, I'm pretty sure that's Colossians, Colossians one. one seventeen. Yep. Yeah. Um. So would it, I'm thinking of a particular uh, relative say uh, that you know does has no appreciation for God though he might appreciate his family. Um, mm-hmm. And so um, would it be fair to say that the atheist or the you know, uh, God-hater essentially cannot be thankful for everything because they can only be thankful for the things that they're willing to attribute to someone else, some other human. But there are certain things like when they say, I'm thankful for my life, for being alive. Well, they can't attribute that to any human being um, no, you know, uh, so, so in some way we could, we could say as Christians, I'm thankful for everything, you know, I mean, <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. in everything I can give thanks because ultimately I go to the highest source who gives all things and who is the yeah. sovereign, but in an atheist, he, there's only a select few things he can be thankful for. Well, I would argue there's nothing an atheist can be thankful for. Um, and, and it's difficult without being able to put ourselves completely in the mind of an atheist. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, how do we understand that? But essentially, what can you trace all things back to in, so when in you the, say the worldview of an atheist? Accidents, random chance, right, nothingness. Right, right. Um, I, I, you know, in the mind of an atheist, you'd have to be forced to say, well, I'm thankful to nothing for accidents that randomly happened. <laughs> um, like you, you can't direct thankfulness anywhere. Not ultimately. Yeah, right. not ultimately. So, I mean, when you say thankful, you mean like to to draw it all the way back because they could say, thank you for giving me that piece of pie. And they're recognizing your act of kindness and giving them something. Yeah. They can express thankfulness, but not in the ultimate sense of drawing it all the way back and recognizing its original source. Sure, sure. Yeah. And, and, and you'd almost have to like, and I wish I'd had time to kind of formulate my exact words on this because to me... I, I I have trouble seeing the disconnect between just thankfulness in the moment and ultimate gratitude toward the Lord. Like how do we divorce yes. how okay. do we divorce yeah, yeah, yeah. temporal blessing 
from providential blessing. In other words, the, the acting of providence on all of creation. How do you divorce that from somebody just giving you a piece of pie in the moment, <laughs> right? Like you can say yeah. thank you, but if you believe in providence, you believe that all sorts of events have happened throughout the course of, of history uh, where God has providentially directed all things to particular moments for particular reasons and such. Um, he's a providential God. Um, so it's, it's hard to see how you can divorce temporal thanksgiving from eternal thanksgiving is that is that am i saying that right am i making it providential yeah providential that's good um yeah that's part of the question is to say there seems to be some degree of thankfulness there but how do we set what is the ultimate argument that you can't be thankful or you can't be thankful for enough or you can't be thankful in the right way Mm -hmm. to the right person you know what i mean uh just so that we accurately say when we if we say well an, uh, an atheist can't really be thankful well kenny or what do we mean by that you know to really clarify that. Yeah. Um, so listeners, if you have a thought on that, please shoot it our way and, uh, and give your thoughts there to the conversation. Um, yeah. can I throw one in here that might be uh, somewhat related tangentially? Absolutely. Okay. So you played that video clip of someone who obviously had, uh, you know, extreme political views and was pretty, uh, <laughs> To, to state it very mildly, pretty put off by other, <laughs> by other <laughs> political views. Um, uh, okay, so my son is taking a, a maybe it's a history class. Is that, uh, anyway, in one of his classes, uh, a young man tried to make the argument for doing away with political parties. It's just doing away with them. Okay, now follow me here for a minute. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of his arguments uh, that was passed on to me was basically this, that if you did away with political parties, it, people wouldn't judge each other. You know, that it would alleviate that judgment <laughs> because um, because nobody would be a part of a political party anymore. So you wouldn't, we say, oh, them Democrats, oh, those Republicans. That, oh, if we just did away with parties, then boom, there goes, there goes the judgment, right? No. <laughs> okay. No. Okay, uh, what 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 you're describing to me sounds much like an empire. <laughs> um, it, it, I I think people get frustrated with the gridlock of having a two party system minimum. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> uh, but yet it is it is baked into the cake. And and I'm no political scientist. You know, I'm no expert on on politics and history. But I think we sort of need to have a two party system. So that there is um, some some disagreement allowed, um, and, and I think even if you tried to eliminate one party and lump everyone and and lump everyone into all one unit, you're still going to have them divide. It'll just look different. Yes, yes, <laughs> that was my thought. Was that uh, is that doing away with the classifications of the groups makes no difference. Because right. humans, if I can make up a word here, will box size. They yeah. will put people in boxes. Uh, so, so you take away, oh, I'll take away political parties. Within five minutes, they'll find other names for the yeah. same people uh, and call them something else and still fight with them. Because the, the problem isn't that you call yourself by this name and I don't like that name. Yeah. It's that that name represents values, which I, you know, am, am in a disagreement with. And so I judge you for that. Well, 
we're always going to judge. And in fact, to some degree, we always should judge people and put them in boxes to some degree. Um, And people, regardless, if you, if you wipe off this name, they're going to give you another one. And so doing away with political parties is absolutely um, empty. You know what I mean? It would be, it would not, would not solve anything. Right. Well, it's interesting, the timing on that, because it seemed like just a week or two ago, one of my sons came to me with something he was studying in school. And and he said, is it true that political parties can just totally disappear? And I said, I said, well, what you're saying is the, the people of those parties essentially <laughs> disappeared. And I, and I gave him the example, like the Whig party, right? right we don't right. have the Whig party anymore right. necessarily, but they essentially became the Republican party. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, the, the, the people just didn't carry that particular title anymore. Okay. Yeah. But they had the same. Yeah. It's like if, if you and I, if let's say, let's say we're Republicans. Okay. Which I vote Republican. I'm going to be honest. I vote Mm -hmm. Republican though. I'm not super happy with a lot of the, uh, the way establishment Republicanism has gone. I would consider myself more of a conservative, but that's not a party necessarily. But let's say it became one, right? And the Republicans all just switched and started calling themselves conservatives. We're the conservative party and so on. Well, did, did I disappear? No, <laughs> no right, I didn't. Right, no. <laughs> right. Um, and, and, I, and I realize I'm a little bit out of my lane here talking about, you know, politics and government, but you know, that's at least my basic understanding of, of what, what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. Good. Is the labels. Now, and I will have to say you, you did, uh, triggered me a little bit on not not that you offended me but it brought up a thought that i was thinking recently speaking of politics i would be curious to know if someone calls themselves an independent what does that mean you know in 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 an election they're like well you know you got to persuade the independents and then i hear that you know independents voted uh, primarily for joe biden or something like that and you're like what? I mean, like, what, what, what is being an independent if your values are all over the board? I mean, what is it actually that defines an independent? It's just they don't want to be labeled right. with anybody? Well, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush. Yeah. But I have a sinking suspicion that independents largely vote based on personality. Uh, okay. okay. Um, there, there, so, there are people who may, I, I'm totally guessing here. I just, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of someone who, who would vote like two different types of tickets depending on the year or the election cycle. Right. right. Um, and I, so it's trying, like, they don't, they don't really have so much the core values. It's more, they're looking at personality and things that are external or emotional. Right. Well, I mean, if you're not going to be voting purely on values, if you could one year vote on a conservative and the next year vote on a very left wing Democrat, yep. um, if you can make that kind of switch as an independent, what values are you basing your vote on? That's kind of what I'm at. I mean, yeah, saying like, who are you? What defines you? Um, I just kind well, of the only thing the only thing that's left has to be personality and popularity. Mm-hmm. So they would look at whatever candidates are available and vote based on who they think is more popular or who's, uh, you know, a better personality and such. It's more of a popularity contest. And, and, and perhaps maybe that's why, <laughs> that's why they spend so much time in these states where there are large degrees of independence um, when they campaign is because they're looking to become more popular amongst that particular group. They're, they're not going to get anywhere with the people who are already, 
you know, rock ribbed conservatives or rock ribbed, you know, liberals. I just have to say the way it appears to me, and, I'm, if, and if, if someone listening is an independent and can enlighten me, please, please do tell me. Uh, but it seems to me that just from my very, very limited knowledge, uh, that independents are just kind of simpletons um, yeah. that can just be swayed wherever and have little uh, root as far as yeah. uh, root uh, convictions. What we should also recognize, though, that independence today may not be the same as what they would have been 50 years ago. Okay. And and the okay. reason I say Fair that enough. is because I think 50 years ago, maybe even less than that, there was a little bit less distance between those on the right and those on the left. Yes, sure. There, there sure. might have been some crossover of you know values on the Venn diagram between the right and the left mm-hmm. at a certain point. Um, in fact, I don't think it was all that long ago, Barack Obama was publicly against the idea of gay marriage um, <laughs> early on in his political career. Um, so it wouldn't have been all that long ago that there would have been some crossover between mm-hmm. the left and the right. But now it's so, so vast, vastly separated between left and right that to yeah. be an independent in this political climate, I struggle to understand how you could be. Right. Uh, right. Unless you either a had no principles and you just voted based on personality and popularity, um, or I don't know. I can't. Right. Think of right. What else? else? Yeah. I mean, I can understand to some degree uh, a libertarian or a constitutional party or something, but uh, an independent, an independent of what? Yeah. I, I get just. Maybe okay. there's one other rationale that could explain an independent voter. Perhaps they're really a single track voter. Where they've essentially got one issue one that issue. means the most to them, okay, okay. and they really don't care about all the other problematic issues of a candidate, as long yeah. as that candidate will deal with the one issue that they like. That's interesting, and um, it may not be the same issue for each independent. Yeah, okay, yeah, I would, I would say so. Okay, but again, yeah, you know, I'm thoughts. out of my lane a little bit talking about <laughs> political science, you know. So maybe uh, someone could write in and help us with that. Yeah, please. Um, all right, we've got about ten minutes left. And uh, oh, go ahead. We have some feedback. Yes. That I wanted to cover and that might take up the next 10 minutes. Please. Yep. Go I ahead. don't know. Yep. This, I, I, I should have got to this earlier in the episode, but this is super interesting to me. And this comes from our last episode in which we talked about, is there any crossover between the attitude of a climate activist who glues his head to a wall for his cause mm-hmm. and a Baptist who wants to see people saved so badly that they're willing to, you know, do elaborate stunts of some kind <laughs> um, <clears throat> or, or use perhaps unorthodox methods. There you go. And this, um, this conversation came up between my wife and her siblings, and I am sharing this with permission. Okay. okay. Um, and she shared with me a, a good bit of this conversation. And, and this might also extend to relatives in our family outside of my wife and her siblings who grew up in the same area who probably have similar experiences. Okay. Um, as many of you know, my wife's family, they're, they're formerly Amish. They left the Amish decades ago. They got saved, came out of that. Um, the rest is history. Um, not to breeze over that as if it's unimportant, but I'm trying to get- right No, to it's, a, it's a fantastic story, but that's not the point of what we're <laughs> talking about. It is a fantastic here. story. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so <laughs> um, when when my wife and her siblings were teenagers, 
the pastor of the church where my in-laws were members of where they were attending, they took the teens to a different church um, out in the Hannibal area, Hannibal, Missouri. Okay. And uh, this was a big church. It was around Halloween time of the year. And they were going to take them to this very elaborately done, and I, and I put this in air quotes, gospel presentation Okay. that had been prepared at this big church. For and Halloween. you essentially, yeah, around the time of around Halloween. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, I don't know if it's on Halloween. It was around okay. the time. Okay. But you drive through the first portion of this. And then I guess at a certain point you get out of the car and they, they take you through this uh, maze type thing that they've set up. I, I don't know exactly what it was like, but they drive through this portion of outdoor staging that was meant to portray that as they're driving, they get in this accident. Okay. They don't, mm-hmm. they don't actually get in an accident, to be clear. Right, right. But they take you out of the car, and they essentially now treat you as if you have just crashed and died, and now you're going to be standing before God. So they usher you through these multiple scenes to portray what it would be like after you, you die, and then you stand before God and mm-hmm. be judged. And uh, my sister-in-law, uh, Loretta, <clears throat> she says this, we also went through part of this setup altogether in the van, I think it was supposed to be us who had the accident. And then she says, I don't know why we didn't go to heaven. (laughs) Um, She says, hell, quote unquote, was noisy and dark with red lights, nasty looking people in chains and smoke. Hmm. I'm pretty sure we also attended our own funeral at some point in there. Uh, My brother-in-law Omar said, I remember after the car accident, they had each, uh, they had us each individually lay on a gurney to put us through the morgue. After we died, we had to all stand before a throne. And Omar says, I remember being embarrassed because when we got to the throne, he told each of us to step to the left. I was one of the last ones. So when I stepped to the left, I joined all my friends and I was beaming and smiling and giving them five because I assumed that meant we got to go to heaven. But then the last person was told to step to the right. And when they did, organs started playing and angels came out and greeted him. Then I knew. It, it just hadn't even entered uh, my thought that they would send us all to hell. Um, so you, you, get in, 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 you get in the picture in your mind here, they've set up this whole elaborate sort of yeah, live it. action type scenario, and you uh-huh. are the main characters in the story. Um, right, right. They were then ushered through some, some dark corridors, and, and during this time, they, there were these tortured and mangled looking individuals that were reaching out to grab them. And, and these people were begging and screaming and crying for help. And, and weirdly enough, the coordinators of this event went so far as to burn actual hair to produce a wretched smell in the air. Wow. Uh, my wife said about this, she said there was a grim reaper at the door to hell and they filed us in single file. I remember closing my eyes and pressing up against the girl in front of me, trying to get out of there as soon as possible. It was awful. Hmm. Um, interestingly, Omar also says, but I distinctly remember seeing the whole thing as a movie production, and I was nerdy enough to enjoy the technical aspects of how they pulled it off. So I don't remember being traumatized by it, but I remember a lot of people were. <clears throat> and he says, although I don't think I was as traumatized, I remember more being interested in the mechanics of how they set it all up, uh, like trying to see the Grim Reaper stilts he was walking on to make him so tall. <laughs> um, so you see, they really went to elaborate efforts yeah, I mean, here. They, they, yeah. 
Yeah. Loretta adds uh, regarding the the reality house, as, as she calls it. She says, I remember it being horrible and traumatic. I know it was also supposed to get us to fear other people going to hell and try to get them saved. But I don't think it really gave a horror of hell in any scriptural way. I think it was just a horror of the place and the memories. Hmm. Then after you came out, they brought you back into the auditorium and gave the gospel. I imagine the entire youth group got resaved that night, she hmm. says. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, she uses resaved here, not in a literal way. Um, so it goes on here. The whole thing was geared around the thought that if we could just get people worked up enough in this 45 minutes to say the prayer and be so scared that they really meant it. Hmm. Um, that to me is, is kind of akin to what you were describing last time about mm-hmm. climate activists mm-hmm. yeah. being so frustrated that people won't listen to their cause that they go to these great extremes, like gluing their head to a wall. To me, a setup like this, like that's been described is effectively the same sort of attitude, even though it's a different activity. Mm. <laughs> um, and that's not, that's not all. Okay. Um, this conversation continued between my, my in-laws here and my wife. Um, Loretta said, I do remember once at uh, OBC's preaching conference, that's I think Oklahoma Baptist college. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it exists that, anymore, but it does not No. Okay. <clears throat> um, that when the that the preacher rigged the invitation so that you had to raise your hand and if you raised your hand you had to come forward and if you came forward you had to speak into the mic and tell everyone the decision you had made oh, i boy. took it took like an hour or more for all the teens to file through and say their decision and probably none of it was true and they video recorded the whole thing and bragged about it i remember feeling so manipulated and angry about that <clears throat> again same yeah. sort of thing um and then I'll finish with this one. Um, this this to me blew my mind, okay, when I read this. Um, Omar adds, speaking of which, do you remember at Fairhaven's preaching conference, the preacher, Larry Brown, I believe, was yelling, spitting, jumping, shouting, quote unquote, preaching about hell and sin and punishment. And then a huge storm came up and the building started shaking with thunder and the lights kept flickering and it was pretty crazy. Then the service ended and we walked outside and it was a beautiful sunny day. The whole thing was rigged to scare people into thinking we were about to die and better quickly say the prayer. Uh, Omar says he remembered that while he was there, he heard one adult saying that that was too much and inappropriate. Hmm. Wow. Um, Yeah. So certainly people go through certain uh, mechanisms you know, it, it's just, it, it's that, yes, what we were talking about is that, um, that struggle within a lot of believers, and obviously some answer it differently than others, as to how do I create an environment in which to gain the attention or to alert the unsaved to their need in which they will listen? Um, mm-hmm. how can I, how can I, you know, uh, yeah, get them to see the reality of what I'm saying. And that's a, that's exactly what those climate change activists are doing. Now, we might say that they're self-aggrandizing in the process, though mm-hmm. that argument probably could be made for people who manipulate invitations and record 
video Agreed. record, uh, you know, uh, all these teens verbalizing their supposed decision. Um, but obviously I think, I think there are people, I think there are sincere people who legitimately want to know how, you know, this is important. This, you know, this evangelism thing, this great commission, this reaching out to people, people are going to hell. How can I reach them? And so it breeds all kinds of responses and interactions and maybe awkward confrontations um, because somebody's coaching them. We got to do it this way, or this method is how you do it. Or you ask this question and you say this thing and you repeat this verse and boom, boom, boom. It's got to be just like this. Um, and then some, of course, go to very extravagant means to, uh, to yeah. accomplish well, and it's that. Interesting. Yeah. And, and astute listeners who've been around in this podcast for a while will know that I, I have a history with Fairhaven, having attended there for a few years. So I can picture kind of in my, my mind. And I was even there in the old building, too. They have a new building now, but I was there in the old building. And, and I can picture the area. Right, and I can picture the preaching conferences. Now, I wasn't there for this particular event that Omar was describing. That would have been years before uh, I was there. But part of me is just thinking, what has to go through your mind to think that that is an acceptable way of conducting ministry? Like you literally have people who have agreed to produce a fake storm. During an invitation or during preaching, I I, I mean, you really, you really have to at some point really believe what you're doing is right, at some level, and 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 I realize that the desire is good, the desire to see people saved and to see lives changed, that's a good desire. But sometimes such a strong desire can make you do crazy things. Even if that desire is right, you can take that too far. Right. It can become very pragmatic and, and, yeah. and kind of not doing the research to say, what does scripture say? Can I truly trust whatever God says, or, or maybe they just feel like he doesn't say enough. He kind of leaves it alone, but can I trust the Holy Spirit? Right. How should I plant seeds? How can I use my own personality and the circumstances God has given me to connect with people? Um, you know, say, no, I have to create environments, uh, you know, whereby people will want to get saved. And I, that's mm-hmm. interesting with the, uh, I have to think back to the one about driving through the whole, I mean, I get the idea because honestly, Drama. Okay, I've been in. I've been in a number. Of, you know, or been in some drama presentations. Well, yeah. every drama is meant to move you. I mean, that's kind of sure. the point, you know. And if it's a Christian drama, then it's meant to uh, move your emotions, stir your thought, and get you to see something maybe in a way that you hadn't seen it before, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and I I think you have to be careful with that because if you if you try to just simply stir emotions with a death scene and uh, and this and that, and then say, oh, now we're all crying. How many of you want to get saved? You know what I mean? Well, then it's the emotions. And I think we've, t- we've talked about that before, how much it is the yeah. emotion making a decision and not actually a, you know, a rational understanding of, of what goes into it. But, um, but I'm comparing that with this, this whole, okay. So I get the concept of take them through a death experience. Mm-hmm. Meaning, uh, okay, imagine that you died. Now, here's what would happen. But it's interesting that um, how, how they recount that they were horrified. Well, hell would be horrifying. Sure. Um, and yet, I have to, in some ways, uh, 
Yeah, I guess I just, in, in my mind, I'm questioning, is the use of horror an appropriate means? Although when we try to communicate hell to a person, isn't that what we're trying to communicate? Is is the horrifying reality that yeah. that uh, separation from God is is torture? Yeah. Well, I think horror can be appropriate in a certain setting in, in, if it's done right. Like I, I think, I think the Holy Spirit can certainly bring a holy terror uh, on a listener. Uh, you know, in in my mind, I'm thinking of sinners in the hands of an angry God, and the description of the people as they listened to that sermon. Um, was mm-hmm. you might describe that as terror, uh, in some sure. instances. Um, but I don't think that it compares to terror just for terror's sake. I think there was truth and honesty and carefulness being presented. And I've listened and read that message a number of times. I think there was carefulness in it. Um, whereas what, what's being described with this event and the way they're just ushering kids through their like cattle and, and, you know, in a sense, bringing them to a place of decision afterwards, um, to me, it's just more of a stunt. And I can't entirely disagree, partly because, you know, did people know that that's what they're getting into? You know, you, you pick up a kid off the street. Hey, yay, we're having a youth activity tonight. Uh, you want to come with us? We're going to have some pizza and blah, blah, blah. And they get there and they're ushered through this whole horrifying event, uh, yeah. you know. And and I just have to wonder to some degree at what point are they – at what other messages does it send about Christianity, whether it's the way that um, standing before God is presented or whether it's the way that various components are presented, yeah. uh, do they go – this is kind of cheesy or, or, you know, well, like, yeah. like Omar saying it from a very technical point. Oh, that's cool. How they did it. You know, I mean, didn't really. Yeah. Well, it. I think too, it also fails to understand human beings on a base level. Um, there are things that, for instance, something like that, that event, it might be able to break through a human being's courage, which is temporary, hmm. but it can't break through a human being's pride. Hmm. Um, in fact, I would say in such an event, being terrified has no effect on someone's pride. Once the terror has gone, they might still be a self-righteous human being who sees no need for them to be born again. So you're saying the fear um, could be that it, their courage is shaken. They say a prayer. Then when that terror wears off, they're still proud and it ends up being a false conversion yeah. potentially. Right, right. And I'm saying I'm saying that the vast majority of people who are, are unsaved are likely not unsaved because they're not scared of the concept of dying and going to hell. Hmm. They likely yeah. remain unsaved despite hearing the gospel because they really just don't think it applies to them. Mm-hmm. They don't think they need to have that fear ultimately because they think they'll be okay. Um, so you might spend all this time with this elaborate event breaking through people's courage, but that's really not the barrier for people when it comes to getting born again. It's not their, there's not their, their brash, their brash courage in the face of a judging God. Uh, no, I think it's their pride that needs to be broken. And you're not going to do that by terrorizing them for 45 minutes. Interesting. And I'm not necessarily wanting to just, you know, uh, tear apart all the elements of what they did per se, but you think about uh, the scripture comes to mind, you know, by the foolishness of preaching, uh, mm-hmm. you know, God hath chosen to, was it save them that your loss is that, is that how the t- passage goes? But um, something like that, you know, so the idea that to, to simply proclaim the word of God and, and the truth 
can reach the heart of an individual without all the props. Yeah. It was something else I was thinking. I don't remember what it was, but anyway, mm. uh, interesting. It, um, I guess the discuss it, it warrants a discussion on, is there a, is there any place in the gospel presentation for manipulation and how do we define manipulation? <laughs> so if we're talking to somebody, you know what I mean? And we say, well, you know, you may not live another day. Well, are we saying that to manipulate or are we just saying that because that's the truth? Uh, you yeah. know, uh, or if we say, uh, you know, whatever we're saying, are we saying it because we're simply trying to apply truth to the heart in, in a, through, through, uh, you know, a loving heart that says, I want the best for you. Or are we trying to kind of be salesmanish? I mean, maybe there's a fine line there sometimes, uh, yeah. as far as how people present and, and these various things that we're seeing are kind of more extreme evidences of a manipulating yeah. the environment. Um, yeah. Honest question. Can you think of an example in the scriptures where, um, where a Christian, a preacher, an evangelist, a missionary was using the fear of hell as an evangelistic tool? Can, can you um, think of an example? Now, my memory's not, I wouldn't say my memory is good, but no. When I think of even Paul in Athens, I believe he spoke about uh, the one who had rose from the dead. He was speaking of yep. the resurrection. You know, when I think mm -hmm. of Peter and the um, Same thing. Ethiopian eunuch, uh, he just preached to him Jesus, that mm -hmm. he is the fulfillment of this prophecy. You know, it, there wasn't, mm -hmm. um, and I and, I and I think I've heard it said, and I, and I would tend to agree and would want to look into it more, but is hell basically preached more for believers sake than for the unbelievers, you know, can it more motivate mm. the believer? Yeah. Um, could be anyway. Now I'm, I'm not, I don't want to make it sound like I'm against the concept of mentioning hell and judgment in right. the gospel. There's a lot of, people I'm not against who have, that. I've been feel that they've been saved because they were scared of going to hell. And of course I, yeah, don't know what to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not against the mentioning or discussion of it in evangelism. I just I feel like there's a weakness to that as a tool. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, interesting. Yeah. So yeah, thanks for sharing the feedback. It uh, we're we're over time, but I hope that's been uh, uh, been interesting to our listeners. And maybe you have a uh, something you'd like to share. I personally would like to hear uh, your feedback on that. Are, are there things that you have seen or experienced, um, whether you're, you're condemning it or not, that are examples of people creating maybe somewhat awkwardly some pretty extreme um, situations to try to gain the attention of people to, to witness to them or to give them the gospel? Give us your thoughts at reasontogetherpodcast yeah. at gmail.com. All right. Well, thank you for being with us again on another episode. We are encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together.